And then we'll begin. Father, I just really pray, Lord, as we continue our worship tonight, that you would speak through your word. Father, give us hearts and minds open to what you want to say to us. In your name, amen. Lydia is a 10-year-old who lives in rural area of Malawi in southern Africa. When she was young, she lived with her Christian mother who read the Bible to her and took her to church. Her non-Christian father worked in the city of Blantyre and came home only one weekend a month. Three years ago, she died of AIDS. Then last year, sorry, last July, Lydia's mother also died. Lydia and her three younger siblings now live together with 12 other cousins, all of them aid orphans, in a small home of her grandfather. There is no money for school fees, so she can't go to school. And anyway, she is needed at home to take care of the younger children. Sarah, a single mother of a three-year-old Naomi and one-year-old Michael, is driving home from work after picking up her children from nursery. Sam is also on his way home, stops at a bar and has four or five drinks. He realizes he stayed too long and is already 15 minutes late for his evening appointment. He rushes out to his car and runs straight through the first stop sign, just as Sarah pulls into the intersection. His car smashes into her, killing Naomi and leaving Michael and Sarah crippled for life. Now we could multiply these stories. We could tell of child abuse and hunger, child abuse, hunger, starvation, and injustice happening all over the world. Who is in control? Is there any justice in this world? Where is God in a world full of AIDS orphans, innocent crippled children? How can we have faith? How can we believe in God when we are faced with such darkness, such tragedy, such devastation? Today, we continue to look at the book of Habakkuk, written about 2,600 years ago. But the world of Habakkuk was in ways much like ours. He too was faith faced with great evil in his country. He too faced a world that seemed to be out of control, a world in which there seemed no justice. He too struggled with the seeming inconsistency between the revealed nature of God and the evidence he saw in the world around him. But amazingly, Habakkuk in the end rejoices in God concluding with one of the greatest statements of faith in the entire Bible. Habakkuk had similar questions to ours, and we're going to have a look at what some of them were and why he had them, and then look at God's response to them. Now, it's always good to be reminded of the history and context of these prophetic books that have been written to get the most out of them, okay? Habakkuk lived in a time when Israel had been split into two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom called Samaria or Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And many of the kings at that time had been unfaithful to God and they had led the nation into idolatry. One such king 
was Manasseh, and he was not a nice man. He introduced the worship of Moloch. Listen to this. Moloch was worshipped by heating a metal statue representing the god until it was red hot, then by placing a living infant, usually a newborn, on the outstretched hands of the statue while beating drums drowned out the screams of the child until it burned to death. To make it worse, this guy did it to his own kids. Why were God's people practicing such worship? God had already given the Israelites clear instruction to stay far away from such things. In Leviticus, he said, If any of them offer their children as a sacrifice to Moloch, they must be put to death. The the people of the community must stone them to death. I myself will turn against them and cut them off from the community because they have defiled my sanctuary and brought shame on my holy name by offering their children to Moloch. A very strong warning indeed. Now this, this Manasseh dude was also guilty of worshipping another god, false god, called Asherah. And she was the Canaanite goddess of fertility and was worshipped through ritual prostitution. And he introduced the worship by putting a carved image of Asherah that he had made into God's holy temple. He made it into an idolatrous brothel dedicated to Asherah. Now these are just two examples of false idols that Israel worshipping, and there were loads more. You see, when Habakkuk was alive, these were some of the horrific things amongst much violence that was happening in his land. And so he confronts God and he pours out his heart. He's had enough. He's had enough of the evil and the violence that surrounds him. And he wants justice. Listen to his cry. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Can you feel Habakkuk's pain and frustration? He can't understand why God seems to do nothing about the wickedness around him. He is saddened by the violence and corruption he sees. So he pours out his God. Where are you? Where are you, God? Now, I love that Habakkuk confronts God. What a ballsy guy. You see, usually the prophets we read about, they confront the people, but not Habakkuk. He goes straight to God. He goes straight to God and confronts him. And what also impresses me about Habakkuk is his open and honest approach to God. You really get the feeling from that reading that he tells God exactly how he feels. I think often our relationship with God can remain sometimes at a superficial and unreal level. We think we dare not explode and tell God 
about his silences, his decisions and ways. But God wants the kind of honesty with which Habakkuk confronted him. God wants us to trust him with our deepest fears and wildest feelings. God wants us to throw everything at him, not pretend that we do not think and feel in ways which are, to some, unacceptable and shocking. Habakkuk's questions don't doubt God's existence or whether or not God cares or listens. Habakkuk knew there was a God, but he wanted some answers. He wanted answers from the Creator. So, not only does he confront him, but he also has an expectation, a faith, that God will answer him. And he declares this. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. We too should be confident in approaching God with our questions and should wait and expect an answer. Well, Habakkuk gets an answer to his cry and it's one that shocks him to the core. In fact, he can't believe what he hears from God. Listen to God's reply. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Hang on. Did I hear you correctly, God? The Babylonians, you are going to bring the Babylonians. Are you serious? These guys are even worse than us. They are way worse than us. This was not what God wanted to, uh, this was not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. To him, the solution was worse than the problem. God is going to act in response to the evil in the land, and he will judge Judah. But he is going to use the Babylonians as his tool to do so. The violence that surrounded Habakkuk was going to be met with an even greater violence. Habakkuk again questions God, how can this be? Well, luckily for us and for Habakkuk, we follow a good God. God hears his cry and graciously gives him an answer, though not an easy one to swallow. And he does this by comparing the faith of the Babylonians to those who put their faith in him. Listen to what he says to Habakkuk. Look at the proud, the Babylonians. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. God states to Habakkuk that we are to have faith in him. You see, the Babylonians, they, they trusted in themselves. They were proud of what they had achieved. They boasted in the fact they had established their society on crime and bloodshed. They were proud of the numbers of prisoners they had captured, the amount of riches they had plundered. 
But God says, you should not worry what happens to the Babylonians. They will get their comeuppance. God assures Habakkuk that they will be judged in God's timing. But what God wants is for Habakkuk to have faith and trust in him. We can't fathom the wisdom and the work of our holy God. We cannot see the bigger picture that God sees. We cannot judge when we ourselves do wrong. But God says we can have faith. Remember what is said of God in Deuteronomy. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is faithful. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. God will act and fulfill his good and just plans. But where and when, we do not know. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this. And he he kind of gives us a team talk on faith. And in fact, he dedicates a whole chapter to it. In Hebrews 11.1, he says, What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. And in this big team talk, he concludes that faith is trusting God. Faith is believing that God made the world. Faith is Abraham believing he would be the father of a nation while still childless. Faith is Noah building an ark with no sign of rain. The list could go on. You see, these people did not have the whole picture. They did not live long enough to see the complete fulfillment of God's plans, but they all lived with faith that it would happen as God said it would. Obviously, we don't always understand God's ways and timings. That's why it's hard for us to understand the presence of injustice and suffering in the world. But God looks for faithfulness in his people. The book of Habakkuk doesn't offer easy answers to the problems of evil in the world. But what it does do is encourage us to have faith in the holy and just God who we worship, who will ultimately bring justice to this world. The message of Habakkuk is that the right right way to live is by faith in God. The victory is God's, and he will share it with his faithful people in the end. Those who serve God now are on the right track because knowing God is the only thing that will survive in the end. And centuries later, Paul quotes Habakkuk in two of his letters saying, the righteous will live by faith. We would do well to take a leaf out of Habakkuk's response to God and put our faith in him. Even when we do not understand the things of this world. The culmination of Habakkuk's experience is in the psalm at the end of his book. 
in which he proclaims his faith in God. I'll leave you with this. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in their fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Amen.